and you're listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. Amen. Hey, so listen, as they pass the buckets, I want to say, every single week we stand up here and we say, this is going to be a special Sunday. Because we believe that. <laughs> we believe that anytime we gather with our spiritual family, anything is possible. God can crash in at any moment. God can touch, transform, change any heart. But there are certain weeks where we feel like there are these like threshold moments where we come into the room and we just believe like, God, we're just going to tarry until. We're just going to stay and we're going to wait and we believe. So about a week and a half ago, I was uh, driving to work on Lithia Pinecrest and my friend David Bradshaw called me and he began to share with me about what, what God had been speaking to him about Tampa, the region and all this stuff. And as he started sharing, my heart was on fire. How many of you remember reading about the disciples who were on the road to Emmaus and when Jesus met them, it says their hearts were on fire. And I felt that, man. I just felt such faith, such passion that he was going to come like a Monday through Thursday. I said, David, you've got to come to our community and just share with our spiritual family and just see what happens. Because we don't get to command God to do anything. God is God. (laughs) We don't get to tell him what to do. God is God. But what we can do is we can position ourselves by faith to receive what he has for us. And so I'm honored that, David, I, I think I've been running with you guys now for like a year. And I just remember for years and years, like searching for a people that felt like my tribe. Like you go to conferences, you go places, you're like, man, that was great. I feel full. But you're always searching for a people that you feel like, these are my people. So I remember going out, I think it was to Fredericksburg. They were doing this tent meeting and I spent about three days crying. I'm like, well, that was good. (laughs) That's a good start. But then I remember going and they would do these tent meetings and they would just pay all this money to build this put up this big tent to just sit and worship Jesus for three days. And I'm like, I am about that life. I'm just like, these people are crazy. They're just like all, how many of you know there's a, there's a specific breed of Nightwatch people. They are a breed. And I'm a part of that breed. I can say that because I'm in there. But I remember being there like at three and four o'clock in the morning, like who are these crazy people that are just sitting here singing Jesus love songs and praying at three or four o'clock in the morning. And I believe that It was about two years ago now, I think they came and we were here for the National Day of Prayer and God did something. There was like 30 something. Some of the pastors are here, Pastor David Spiker, Scott McIntosh are here. It was just a special day where we were all on the stage. And really what happened for me was I started to fall in love with the Church of Tampa. As I started to see the different pastors praying and releasing, something in my heart says, man, I don't want to ever do this alone. I want to do it together. So all that to say, I believe the Lord has a lot. And for every single person, it may look individual, but it's going to require an open heart. Say open heart. heart. It's going to require an open heart for us to receive and to respond rightly to what God has. So I want to honor David. David, I just honor you, bro. Your humility, the relationship, the way you steward friendship. I'm just thankful. So can we honor him as he comes forward this morning? And it's such a joy to everything you said, Gio, we feel. Uh, we feel like you're our family, you're our tribe. And uh, what Gio just shared is true. You know, it's easy for somebody that's not from your region to come in from the outside and say, God's moving here, something special's going on. And if you've been around, especially the charismatic world for a long time, kind of everybody has a word, revival starts in their city, right? Like literally, because I travel a lot. Almost everywhere I go, it's like, oh, yeah, the prophet said it starts here. And I'm like, there must be some tidal wave of the Holy Spirit that's going to hit like 100 cities at once. And they're all going to be like, it started here. No, it started. And I think that's probably what it is. 
But having said that, I do feel strongly that God is raising up the Tampa Bay region as a prototype. Something is going on in this region that's so holy to the Lord. And in fact, during worship, I saw this just internal vision, this impression of this waterfall of the Holy Spirit's power. And, and here's what I want to encourage you with. Um, I want to encourage you, Geo and team, to start to build as if the move of God is bearing down upon us. Instead of building in this kind of orphan mindset of one day the Lord might move, possibly, not to say you have that because you don't, but instead, I think you need to begin to tool yourself for how you're going to carry your heart when you're in the midst of the waterfall of the Lord's presence. I think you need to get the tools right now for that moment because that moment is, is really key uh, because it's coming. I just, I want to declare it to you, I believe by faith. I, I believe by the Holy Spirit. Seriously, I want to declare to you something is coming in terms of a move of God to this region and to this church. And my encouragement, I believe it's the Holy Spirit's encouragement is to begin to prepare now. Because how many of you know most revivals last, you know, maybe three, three and a half years? That's kind of, if you study revival history, they have these waves. And the reason they don't sustain or continue is almost always because the leadership of the move of God was not prepared to steward the pressures that come when the deluge of the Holy Spirit is upon them. And how many of you know, God wants to give us what we've been singing about more than we want it. We're out here going, come Holy Spirit, we love you, we want your prayer, we say all these prayers, all, and the Lord's not up there going, yeah, well, you know, maybe, you know. He's not like, well, if you say that long enough, maybe I'll consider. No, he wants to dwell more than we want him to dwell. But the only reason, or the primary reason, I should say, that he uh, restrains himself from what he wants to do in terms of his presence is actually to protect us. Because how many of you remember in the book of Acts, there was a resting place in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 2. The Lord began to move on 120 people that quickly became 3,000 in one message, one sermon on the day of Pentecost. And next thing you know, within a, a very short period of time, scholars say by the time you get to maybe Acts chapter 5, they're, they're estimating upwards of 20,000 believers were in Jerusalem, and the city was probably only 100-some thousand people. So we're not talking about a side thing anymore. <laughs> Swept the whole city. And in the midst of that move of God, what began to happen? The pressures of persecution, and, and actually, not to get intense, but... That was the moment of Ananias and Sapphira as well. People are lying to their pastors every day. Nobody's fallen over. But when you're in an open heaven, like a real open heaven, things change. And the point is, like, I, I, this is kind of really intense to start with. I didn't mean to get quite that intense. <laughs> I didn't even plan to say any of that. But I, but I mean this actually with joy as well. This is a time to prepare like we sang this morning 
That word, remember John the Baptist shows up and he goes, prepare. Why did God send John the Baptist? Because people needed to prepare. The greatest visitation ever in human history was about to show up in Israel and God in his mercy sends a voice that's out in the wilderness going, get ready. Because when he comes, the stakes go up. And the thing we've been longing for is bearing down upon us. You know, I, Mike Bickle's kind of one, a spiritual father to me from Kansas City. And I just heard this message he get, gave the other day where the day after Roe v. Wade was overturned, he had this dream. Anybody hear this? It was so profound to me. He had this dream where he said the Lord began to say this phrase. Because, I mean, I, I just want to say, how many of you know the overturning of Roe v. Wade was probably one of the biggest miracles of any of our lifetime? I mean, actually, that's true. It also is one of the greatest crises of our lifetime, one of the greatest miracles and one of the greatest challenges because now the church has to be an adoption movement like we've never been before. That's got to go from rhetoric to reality right now um, because there are hurting women and families more than ever in the midst of this. And I, I would encourage us to celebrate Roe v. Wade, but, but don't gloat Roe v. Wade. Instead, put our face in the ground and go, there are hurting men and women and children and families and we need to be the adoption movement now not just the birth movement right so we're really pro-life we're pro-life not just pro-birth and but on the other hand we also need to recognize my friend matt lockett stood in front of that supreme court for uh he gave me the number sick over six thousand days every day and asked the Lord to overturn Roe v. Wade. He sent me the pictures of their last ever life siege in front of the Supreme Court. I couldn't even believe, I was just crying because I knew him so well, he's in Washington, D.C. So it's a miracle. And I'll tell you what else it is, it's proof of answered prayer. It, God vindicated, how many of you ever were in a prayer meeting where you're praying for something that's so large, you're going, this, this, in your heart, you're thinking this probably not gonna happen. Right, like I'm just praying, like Jeremiah was like, turn to the Lord. And he knew they're about to get judged. You know, you're just like, turn to the Lord anyway. Come on, can we keep it real for a second? I've been in those prayer meetings and I was like, Lord. And I'm thinking, Roe v. Wade overturned? It's probably not going to happen. But God can do anything to sustain answered prayer, to sustain prayer. And, and again, this is, we're not a birth movement, we're a life movement. But, I, but Mike Bickle had this dream the night after Roe v. Wade because I'm going into ancient past here, but we had this prayer we used to pray. It said, um, Jesus, I plead your blood over my sins and the sins of my nation. God and abortion and send revival to America. Anybody ever pray that prayer? Anybody in this room is a couple of you. We used to pray that prayer because Lou Engle wrote it and we would all pray it over and over and over. We prayed that prayer so many times. Well, the second half of the prayer is send revival to America. And what hit me is I've got more faith for that right now than ever. But I think we need to prepare for it not just get excited for it because what's in Jesus heart is a revival that doesn't end. It's a revival that doesn't end. That actually culminates with Jesus feet on the Mount of Olives. And I think we need to get a vision for that and actually start to prepare for that. So anyway, I wanted, um, yeah, I've got a lot to say, but I want to introduce my wife. This is Ashley. She's with me this time. And um, 
This is so much fun. We have five kids, and they're all in Virginia. So my phone's blowing up. Yeah, that's true. It's like, mommy, mommy, mommy. But that's the thing. For those of you that have young kids, be careful when you give your kids a phone. It's a game changer because they know your number. And suddenly you're accessible 24-7, even in your sleep. Anyway, we, but we're here without them. So that's awesome. But um, no, we love them, but let the reader understand. I'll so here. I'll take the mic. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so on the way here, hello, everyone. I love being here with you guys. He's gotten to come to Tampa multiple times, but I'm usually at home not wanting to be in the heat, but I'm getting used to it. So, and you guys are worth it. But on the way here, driving from the hotel, we just were praying for, for Tampa and for you guys. And immediately I felt in my spirit, there's someone here who's on the fence, someone who's been walking with the Lord and loves the Lord, but is on the fence and, and not sure about his love, not sure about even his existence and the very question that's coming up in your heart. There could be multiple ones of you, but I felt like a person. So I felt God was making it very personal. Even if there's multiple of you that he wants you to know he loves you. And you don't need to feel shame that you're struggling. I felt like there was shame settling in, even that you're having these questions. And, um, and I wrote it down on this card. It's the first uh, little thing that I had. Um, just let go of the shame. Shame is never from him. He loves you and accepts you even with your questions. And I realized immediately, I wrote it on a green card. I felt like the Lord said, this is your green card. It's your permanent residence with him. And you don't have to worry. Even that faith, like a mustard seed, that small faith that you got up and spoke about. I don't know your name. I'm sorry. But when you got up there, I'm like, yep, that was it. Just like, Lord, help me when I doubt. He sees you. He loves you on a personal level. And don't worry. Just keep on talking to him. It's the conversation. Don't let the conversation end. And then the second word was for you as a body, but uh, your team. Uh, I saw a boat, a ship on the sea. And um, <laughs> you guys have rocked the boat. <laughs> you guys have not been afraid to rock the boat. And um, the waves that you're creating are actually getting to the shore where the people are sleeping and just kind of like, uh, the, the believers even, those that don't know him yet, but keep rocking the boat. Keep letting yourself like do things that maybe others won't do according to his spirit, of course, but those waves you're creating in the Tampa area that's going to reach even the nation and the nations, it's ultimately going to draw in people who are sleeping. Those waves are going to reach those and pull them in to where God's at. So I just wanted to just affirm you guys and what God's doing through you and your prayers. I loved on your website where it says, we are a house of prayer that meets on Sundays. I love that so much. That's totally my heart. But anyway, I just wanted to say that to you guys. Bless you. Thank you. It's so good. Well, I felt this morning I, I kind of shifted. I had a I got notes right here. How's that for notes there? I um I had a whole thing prepared this morning. I'll probably touch on some of it, but at, during worship I just felt this download coming. So um I'm gonna share out of that. Holy Spirit, you're the teacher. We ask you to come and, and energize our hearts with your word today. 
Strengthen us with your word. Come into this room and do what you want to do. I agree with Gio. This is your gathering today. We're not interested in just another church meeting. Well, we are desperate for you. And we ask you to come and empower this morning for the rest of the service. And I pray anyone that's questioning in this room, I pray you'd reveal yourself to them. I thank you that you brought them here. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I felt like this phrase was, was in my heart um, that, that there's, there's a need right now to teach this generation, and by that I mean young and old, how to fly, to teach us what ministry to the Lord looks like. Because so many are living far below who they are and don't even realize it. So many don't know how they function. You know, it's, you're a, we use the phrase jokingly sometimes, you're an eagle, not a chicken. And like a lot of people that are believers in Jesus are waddling around not knowing what they already have and how God's already wired them. And I think it's time for Bide Church, for Tampa Bay, for believers to learn to fly, to learn the skill set of what it looks like to be who you are, to be like Jesus, to be the way he's called you to be. And so hopefully with the Holy Spirit's help, I want to share some things. A few of these will be pretty practical, but I felt in my heart like it is time to train the priesthood. And that's you. That's us. Train men and women, young and old. Train Gen Z how to soar in their identity. Learn the skill of what it looks like to minister to Jesus, to be who you are. Because priesthood, that might be a strange phrase. Maybe you're, sit, maybe you're sitting there thinking, I'm not a priest. I'm not Catholic. I'm not whatever. But priesthood is your ministry. You may not know it yet. Maybe you have other language that you'd be more familiar with, but the Bible actually calls you a priest. And in in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, Revelation 1, verse 5 and 6, John says, Jesus, John says about Jesus, he says, to him who loves you, forgave you, forgave us of our sins by his blood and made us kings and priests. I want you to catch that with me for a minute because it's important. We come into these environments and it feels good because the presence of God brings joy. When you get around the presence of God, people are like, I like that. You were born for it. And so you're, but it has to begin to transition where you're not just coming into environments and enjoying it, but you actually start to get understanding of how you carry him how you host him, how you steward him. And it is a skill set that God's called all of us, myself included, to grow in as a primary focus, primary focus. Because I want to say to you right now, as disruptive as it is, your ministry is to God. Everybody wants to know where their ministry is, you know, and there's conferences for all of it that are good. Ministry to the gifts of the spirit or 
church growth or whatever. They're, they're actually all very important and helpful, but those are the secondary ministries. You know, I, I remember I was sitting in a conference one time and I just had this kind of snarky friend next to me and somebody was like, we're calling all the intercessors. And he leans over, he goes, so that's everybody, right? <laughs> because the Bible doesn't say apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, intercessor. It doesn't say apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, worshiper. That's not an office that a few people get. That's the DNA of heaven that he's hardwired into communities across the earth. He's hardwired into your DNA. You don't even have to make it happen. You don't have to become a priest. What, what did priests do? They drew near to God, right? You don't have to become that person. You already are that person. You're going on the discovery of who Jesus has made you to be. So Revelation 1, 5, and 6 says he loves you and he forgives you of, his sin, of your sins by his blood. That's the gospel most of us are familiar with and we never graduate from. He establishes our identity as sons and daughters through his love and forgiveness. But then he establishes from our identity to our calling. And your calling is as a priest and king to God. Then you have an assignment. You guys following this? Your assignment could be your vocation. It could be where God geographically positions you or a husband or a wife. These are all part of your assignment. But when you confuse your assignment with your calling and your calling with your identity, you actually get confused. And what happens to most people, and, and the Western church has hardwired this unintentionally into a generation where we put a platform up there and we call that identity and calling, even, even if it's not specifically identified that way, it's communicated uh, non-verbally that success looks like platforms, stages, personalities, big big uh, social media followings, et cetera, et cetera. And we, when we start to confuse identity with calling and assignment, and when those things get flipped around, we lose our minds. Because you can't find your identity. That's how you define success. What makes you feel successful, that's, who you, that's where your identity is. Does that make sense? So if your definition of success is the size of your social media following or how many people are saying positive things about you or how much money you have or how whatever, fill in the blank, or even marriage or whatever, if that's your core definition of success that makes you feel fulfilled as a human being, then what actually happens is you're confusing your assignment and calling with your identity and you actually can't function in the very thing God's asked you to do. And what will happen is God in his mercy will come and start to resist you in your assignment because he wants to establish your identity. I don't know if you've ever been resisted in the very thing that God told you he was gonna do through you. It's crazy town. It's like, God, you told me he gave you a vision and then he kills the vision to save you from the vision he gave you so that you can understand who he is and be free in your heart so you can walk in the assignment. I'm telling you, leadership 101, this is going to happen to you. But we have to understand 
that ministry to God, that priesthood. Again, these might be new phrases. Maybe you're like, that's a weird phrase. It is kind of a weird phrase. I get it. What I'm telling you is that everyone who's a follower of Jesus is a priest. It's your ministry. It's your calling. It's your destiny. You're never going to not be one. A billion years from now, you'll still be a priest to God because it's your first calling. It's rooted in your identity, which is as a son and daughter and the beloved of God. And how you walk that out, your calling is your priestly ministry. Is this okay? Is this weird language? I don't know. But a whole generation needs a wake up to reality of who they are and, they, and, and that their identity is not the platform. It's not how much money they have. It's not how visible they have. Those are all false definitions of success at the core. There's a measure of joy you get in some of those breakthroughs that's not wrong, but it's not your identity. And when you mix it up, you lose your mind. And next thing you know, we're competing with one another instead of serving each other. And we're not going to have the move of God when competition is right at the core. And the reason competition is at the core is not because God's just trying to come down on us for wanting good things in our lives. It's because our identity got so messed up. We didn't know who he is or who we are to him. And suddenly we're feeling the need to compete when we don't have that need at all. Besides that, big platforms don't satisfy the human heart in any way. That's such a lie, isn't it? It's like, I've been on a few platforms, not as big as some, but the little ones I've been on, I'm like, this doesn't do anything. It creates more headache, more warfare. The powers are there are like, oh, look at that little guy. And they come after you. I'm just keeping it real. And you're like, you're like, I just, everybody's trying to get on the platform. And I'm like, slow down, dude. You don't think, you don't want that like you think you want it. I promise. Everybody tries to get lots of money. Do you know what money does? It makes you busy with lots of things to do. It's an asset. It's a resource that God wants people to have. But I want to tell you what, it doesn't make your life simple. Wow. I didn't plan to say any of this today. <laughs> but I just, I'm convicted that we have to train this next generation how to be priests to God. What does it look like to be a priest? Because it looks like something. Actually, I'll say it even more specific than that. It is a lifestyle. You know, kings were known for their exploits, what they did. Priests were known for their lifestyles. Kings were known for their accomplishments. In the Old Testament, priests were known for how they lived. Most of their life was hidden behind a curtain. But priesthood is your core ministry. I can't say this strongly enough. You will function as you, you will fly as a priest. It's time for a generation to learn to fly. You've been grounded too long. You were not born for just the natural things that you can manipulate manipulate your way into you were born for a heavenly dynamic every one of you you might not even know the language i'm using you're going i don't even get what he's saying you were born for something that's more than meets the eye but it is a lifestyle not an event 
And if we just saw it, if we got the skill set of what it looks like to minister to God as a lifestyle with a community, we would enter into divine storylines that you could never make up and you could never produce. Is there anybody that has an ache in your soul to be in a divine storyline that you could never make up and never fabricate and never produce within human engineering? Is there anyone that's going, I was born when I read the testimony of revival history, there's something in my gut that begins to groan and go, I was created for something I can't fabricate with my personality. I was created for an interaction with God where I'm walking in a narrative that was written billions of years ago that I could never produce. And it comes in the interaction. And I'm telling you, it is time to learn to fly. It's time to teach our kids how to fly. It's time to train youth groups in America how to fly. And I, you know, I, um, I'm going to be candid with you right now. I was just in a stadium gathering. I'm not talking about the send. And, um, you know, my heart was aching for America. They're good people that ran the gathering. I love them. I know them personally. I, they have pure hearts. So this, what I'm about to say isn't an accusation towards any ministry. It's more of an indictment upon us, all of us. You know, I was in this stadium gathering, and um, I know it's being live streamed, but I, it was actually an amazing time. But, you know, we as Americans, we can spend millions of dollars and get the best lineup of known talented people. And the fact is that doesn't produce revival. The fact is it doesn't. Even when our hearts are pure, meaning we really want the move of God, but you can't, and I'm not saying stadiums or big platforms. I'm not saying they're wrong. There is a place for them. There really is a place for them and creative. Uh, there's even production and stuff has value to me. It's not like throw everything like that out necessarily. I'm j- what I'm saying though, is that I, I, those, there's a place for all that, but there is a reality where we're unable to produce what's in God's heart with the best financial resources and the best personalities and the most gifted people. And here's the reality. You can't accomplish the will of God with humanism. Which is just the idolatry of us. You can't get heaven on earth with humanism. And me, you, all of us. I'm not indicting anyone right now. I'm saying me... I am constantly tempted in Western culture to resort to a reliance upon personality, on technology, on money, on social media, on all these things that have value that is secondary. When the main thing is the main thing, those things can be helpful. But when that when those things begin to stick up their head into a place they were never created to function and we begin to rely in a humanistic methodology in the, it's actually one of the most foolish things we do at times. 
I do it, we do it. I'm not accusing, I'm, I'm actually putting my face on the ground going, Jesus, you gotta take the wheel here. So my, my heart is, is stirred um, by this, just being in lots of different environments in the past year. You know, COVID shook everything up. We all got, everything shifted past two years. But it, being in traveling and being in these environments, I'm realizing, I'm not sure if we've learned yet. I, I'm praying we learn so we don't have to have 10 more shakings to get us to learn. Because we're looking out over this global situation and it's unsettling, but I would submit to us that a measure of that unsettling is actually God's genius. He's unsettling us. And, and I think he might unsettle even more. But this is great news because he's going to set us free. This isn't depressing. I know it's intense. I'm sorry. I know this is so intense. I love you guys. But this is actually the Lord setting us free right now. I believe for many in the body of Christ, there is a remantling going on. I'm going to read this quote out. If I can find it. You know, I was thinking about that first tent that you came to. I got this hat out in my car. I was with this kid a couple of weeks ago down in a whole group of people down in Texas. And this, this kid walks up to me, he gives me this hat. He's like, I want you to have this hat. And I remember this kid, this, this, he was probably, you know, maybe when I say kid, probably 20. <laughs> Cause he's married. So I'm assuming he's at least 20. So whatever, maybe older kid. He hands me this hat. He goes, you got to, I just want you to have this. We usually, anyway, gives me the hat. And I suddenly remember this guy. We were under that first time we ever set up this massive tent in Virginia. It was like, we just going after the Lord for three days. And at the end of the thing, they got to close the fairground down. And these fairground people are like, hey, you know, you got to get your people out. Well, the problem is half our people couldn't get out. Let the reader understand. So these kids, this kid that gave me the hat, he's laying there and he can't, he's non-responsive. Like, anybody remember this? Was anybody here? Were you there? Like the kid's non-responsive. And my, uh, the guy, one of the guys that works with me in Virginia was a, uh, was a fireman. And he has the genius to actually check his pulse, make sure he's okay. Because he was not, so they carry, I, I, we, we grab him and a few others that were, and throw him in the back of a car. Send him back to the hotel room. They carry him in. Well, six hours later, he comes to. And he weeps and he can't stop sobbing and he's crying and he's crying. What happened is he saw the Lord. And so he walks up to me and hands me this hat. And he goes, hey, I just want you to have this. He, and he's not a charismatic kid. By the way, the, he never, never had anything like this or even been around it. And he, hands, he goes, and he, right now he's one of the main media people laboring with Gen Z for Jesus and some of these movements. And, he, and, he, and, I'm, and I'm struck in my heart. I'm like, God, would you do that with the next generation? Would you do something that we could never fabricate? 
something we can, it doesn't have to be that kind of ecstatic experience. I'm not just promoting ecstatic experiences. Sometimes it's just studying the Bible where your heart is struck with the word of God. I'm not just saying charismatic experiences. That's part of it. But I am saying, would you open up the soul of a generation to the beauty of Jesus and take us where we could never go? Anyway, I can't find this quote, but it was about remantling how the Lord in seasons of shift will cause what feels like brokenness to enter into our experience in order to reposition us to enter into the next season with greater authority. And it's actually God's mercy towards us. And I feel like that's happening to many, many people. Well, here's what I'd like to look at for a few minutes. Matthew chapter six. I want to look at, again, here's the goal right now. Let's train the next generation how to be a priesthood. Not just it feels good, which is true. It also sometimes is challenging and painful, but it does feel really good in the presence of the Lord. But more than that, Understanding what does it look like to walk the lifestyle out. And what I'd like to do for just a few minutes, and I'm not going to have time to go much into this, but I want, to, I want to reference one of the most famous passages ever. And, and I, it's one that we can quote. It's one that the whole world quotes. But is actually a training manual from Jesus on priesthood. It's the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is not something just to be recited. The Lord's Prayer is a training manual. Every phrase is teaching us how to be a presence-centered people, a Jesus-centered people. It, it's, it is a blueprint. I, I feel like God is giving blueprints right now. I know this is a passage that most of us could probably quote and that you've probably heard teachings on, but nonetheless, I want to just take 15 minutes and get into the phrases for a minute because the context was the disciples in, in Luke 11 is the parallel passage, right? And the context is the disciples are asking Jesus to teach them what he did with the father. That's the context of the Lord's prayer. We all quote it. Uh, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've, we're all familiar with it, right? The context is his 12 disciples had been living with Jesus for months, and they were watching, and they never asked him once how to, how to teach like he taught or how to even do miracles. Like he, There's no record of them ever coming to Jesus saying, how do you teach like that? How do you do miracles like that? How do you walk like that? The one question we have on record is they came to him and they go, Lord, teach us to pray. Because the disciples knew what Jesus was walking in was the overflow of what he was walking in with the Father. And they were able to recognize what we want more than anything else from Jesus is to learn that. Have you ever been around somebody where you're jealous of their relationship with the Lord? 
You're not jealous of how much money they have, how famous they are. You're jealous of what's going on with them in the Lord. You're going, I've got to have that. This is what the disciples are, they're going, all the, the crowds are great. The healings are amazing. The teaching is profound, but we recognize all of that has a source. And we're going right below and we're going, how did you do that, Jesus? Teach us to pray. And then he gives them the Lord's prayer. Every phrase is a training manual for a new generation of how to be a priesthood. How do we do it? So we're not going to have time to unpack that, like all of it. But there's a few things out of this I want to say to us, and then some practical things. And then I actually, before we close here, I want to do it. Let's look at the text that we all know well. He says, our Father in heaven. First of all, he says, our Father, it's corporate. Isn't it interesting that he didn't say, my Father? He's not just talking about your, your quiet time. He's talking about how we do life together. Our Father. It has to be in community, doesn't it? You know, again, I, I do gatherings. I love stadiums because God's going to fill stadiums. He said he's going to do it. But I want to tell you, rooms like this have as much significance as any stadium, if not more. Because these are the contexts where communities, listen, the point of the spear just give me a few minutes because there's DNA in this we've got to get. The point of the spear of Jesus' strategy to bring about his will and fulfill the Great Commission are communities that are living centered around his person and his presence. It's, and I think last time I was here, I talked about Antioch's, yeah. Acts 13. I'm convinced that Antioch is a prototype. And I'm not going to preach on that right now, but look it up. Acts 13, they gathered together. They were multi-ethnic, which is a miracle. They ministered to the Lord with fasting. Apostles, excuse me, prophets and teachers were together, and then they launched missionaries into the Great Commission. Antioch is a prototype in the book of Acts. But the starting point of how we relate to God is not just my father, which is important, but it's our father. Yes. It's communities that are operating in the identity of sonship. Yeah. That's the starting point. Our father. Knowing, let me just say this really clear. If we want to be a people that don't quit going after God and don't quit when the deluge of revival comes and don't flesh out in those environments. We've got to settle our identity as sons. Our father, you know, one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, I know it's true for many of you is John 17. How many of you love John? How many of you are head over heels in love with John 17? It's God talking to God about you. It's the best. I don't know if you're allowed to pick favorites, but I've picked my favorite. John 17, is, well, the whole upper room discourse, John 13 through 17, it's, it's my favorite. It's like the holy of holies, in my opinion, of the scriptures. And in that passage, Jesus says, 
John 15, he says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And then in John 17, he says to the father, he says, as you have loved me, so you have loved them. And so there's this testimony of God loving us the way God loves God. That's literally the, that's, that's the beginning and the end, isn't it? I mean, it, it does not get better than God loving us the way God loves God. In John 17, 23, it says, So that the world might know you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And I'm just hanging out on this for a minute because I don't want to gloss over it. If we're training a people that will live that life with him, that'll be priests. They've got to start in our, if you don't have the hour, if you don't have an Antioch, if you don't have a community of people that are living this way, find it. Do whatever, relocate. Do whatever you have to do. Get one. Paul had to relocate to Antioch. He was in Tarsus. He had to get to Antioch because there was a community there ministering to God, prepared for the Great Commission. And, and like nowhere else in the world, he had to get wherever it took our, but then it's the father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives their name and identity. This is not something we gloss over. This is our life. The father loves us like he loves Jesus. I remember this is what the Lord is driving home, isn't he? I'm sorry if this is so simple, but I'm not actually. This is so critical. And I don't know about you. I feel like I'm still in like third grade or first grade on how the father feels about Jesus and how he feels about me. The emotions of God are a foundation to become who God's called you to be. You and I, like David, again, they were training a people that can stand in a real deal move of God, a priesthood. Here's what you need to do. Become a student of God's emotions, like David was, a man after God's own heart. You got, worship and prayer isn't something that is an end in and of itself. If prayer becomes about prayer, we've lost the plot. If worship becomes about worship, we've lost the plot. And so the emotions of God, that's why Paul prayed, let them be rooted and grounded in love. Let them comprehend with all the saints, the height, depth, width, and breadth of the love of Christ that passes knowledge. On and on and on. He goes, spirit of revelation, spirit of wisdom. If we would just get plugged into the way God feels about God and the way God feels about us, and we would get rooted and established and encounter it in our sleep, encounter him in our word, in, in the word, encounter him in relationships, get into the river of fire. You'll become a priestly people. How many of you, I don't know about you, I didn't sign up for worship and prayer because I had some kind of intercessory burden on day one. That comes. I never thought about the Middle East. I never thought about things Jesus cares about. I remember when God showed up and told me to pray for Israel. And I'm like, what? It didn't make any sense to me. The burden of the Lord comes but what, what got me in the door was there is a river. 
And as a 15-year-old kid at the Brownsville Revival, didn't even know who I was, I was banging my fist on the floor of the red carpet at the Assembly of God Church going, God, I don't even know if you exist, but you, if you don't touch me, I'm going to die. And I get up off the floor and I'm trying to walk out. And the only reason I was on the floor is because I courtesy fell for some guy. God didn't put me on the floor. I was laying there because that guy went down that guy. I went, okay, there's somebody back there anyway. And I'm like, that was the dumbest thing I've ever done. I'm a complete hypocrite. I fell down because the other guy did. Get me out of here or God touch me or I'm going to die. I was 15 years old. I'm being dramatic. And I get up and the guy with the golden usher badge comes up. I love golden usher badges. Church, some churches have those. And he goes, hey, can I pray for you, young man? I'm like, yeah, but I'm thinking you are not going to push me down. And he goes, that's, uh, yeah. I said, fine, I got to go, but go ahead. And he barely touches my head. And it was, uh, who was it? Finney said, it was like liquid love. For about two months, they had to carry me around at every meeting. And I'm not <laughs> advertising that as the, what it looks like to be encountered by God. There lots of... I'm just saying it happened and a move of God breaks out. And so I got in the door, not because I want to change the world and get an intercessory burden. I got in the door because there's a river and guess what? You never graduate from that. Our father. Yeah. I remember when I was, um, gosh, like right in the middle of an assignment was that Lou Engle and I announced we were going to the National Mall in D.C. We had 58 tents and whatever. It's crazy. It was, it was impossible. And we get on this live stream, and Lou's like, you say it. And I'm like, we're going to go, and we're going to have thousands of musicians, thousands of singers that fill tents 24-7 from all 50 states. And, and I go home to my house, and I'm laying in bed, and I'm like, what did I just say to the whole world? How are we going to gather thousands of musicians? We don't have a dollar. I'm like, and I'm just devastated. I mean, I'm like just struggling. I'm laying there and I go to sleep and I hear out loud. I'm jolted awake. It's the only time I ever heard the Lord out loud. Again, you don't have to hear the Lord out loud. You have the scriptures. In this particular time, I did. It's the only time it's ever happened to me. But out loud, I'm jolted awake. I'm terrified. And what I heard was the Lord said one word. He said, David. He said my name. And in that moment, it was about identity. It wasn't what I was doing for him. It was like, let me bring this home here. I see you. My eyes are on you. I like you more than you have any idea. I actually enjoy you. Find me a person, young or old, that knows God enjoys them for real at the heart level, even in their weakness. You'll find a person that will not quit. 
But the enemy of our souls is constantly undermining that message, that reality. Seriously, this isn't just Jesus loves me Sunday school. This is your very life to get in that river of fire and know who you are. So he says, our father who is where? Heaven. Again, we're training a generation to minister to the Lord, to be a priest, training you to live this way, the lifestyle. He says, in heaven. It's a really good verse in Colossians chapter three. He goes, Paul says, set your mind. Anybody know this verse? Set your mind on things above where Christ is seated. And then he says, not on things on the earth. Set your mind on things above, in heaven, where Christ is seated. How many of you know Christ is seated somewhere? It's not just a set of values and principles. It's not just a a philosophy. There is a place called the New Jerusalem of which you are a citizen. And to understand who you are, you have to know about that place and who you are. There's a throne, I just read it on the plane on the way here. There's a throne standing in heaven. And there's one seated on the throne. And he has the appearance of a jasper stone or a sardius stone. Jesus goes, hey, if you want want to learn how to do what I'm doing with the Father, you got to get your eyes up. Your thoughts got to go up. Your lifestyle's got to go up. You got to understand there is a throne. And the angels are crying, holy, holy, the seraphim and the cherubim. And the, and, and the cher- I love that in Psalm, what, uh, is it 80, where it says, you who dwell between the cherubim, shine. It's like there is a reality. Now, again, this might be new information, but I would encourage you, take a year of your life. Take this Lord's Prayer, study it. And when you get to the heaven part, take six months or a year or maybe three. Study Revelation 4. Study Daniel 7. Study Isaiah 6. Study the whole book of Revelation. Get your mind into reality because in that place, the will of God is perfectly done. And there is untold beauty. And what Jesus is saying is, if you want to walk with the Father like I walk, number one, it's our Father. Know who I am. Know how I feel about you. Know your destiny. And then number two, it's in heaven. You have a heavenly ministry. Do you know you're already seated in heavenly places with Christ? You're already seated in heavenly places with Christ. Ephesians 2.6. There is a reality that you have access to. Everybody say access. You have access to heavenly things. Your voice moves his heart and you bring, next verse, things in heaven to the earth through your voice. But you got to see him and spend the rest of your life adoring him, which is the next phrase. Holy is your name. How do we become a people? It says, hallowed be, holy is your name. And do you know that the actual Greek there, the actual language, it says, I wrote it down, let your name be revered. That there is a revering, there is a skill set, there is a skill set of adoration. 
You know, my, my friend, Michael Miller from Upper Room, he, he, he was telling me that they had this thing, they called them like presence labs, where they would, every set they would do of worship and prayer, they'd go in the back room and they would talk about where was God in that and how well did we do discerning it and how do we run with it? Because this worship adoration movement is not going away. It's what's going on in heaven. It's creative, it's musical, but it's not just sound. Let's say that again. It's creative and it's musical, but it's not just sound. It's not like if you get louder and just say the right phrases, you're touching into the hallowed be your name. There is a skill set, and I want to encourage everybody at this church to learn the skill set. Like you could say it this way. You get your antenna up and you start to discern what God's moving on in the adoration that let your name be hallowed means let your name be revered, let your name be honored and experienced. Or you could even say it this way, let your presence be honored and experienced with groups of people. Holy is your name. I remember when I was a kid, I started leading worship at 16 years old. I went to this pastor of this church and he goes, young man, why do you want to lead worship? I'm like, oh man, this is like the question. I'm thinking of all the right answers, like, because I want God to be glorified through my life, which is true. But I was like, you know, I'll just be honest with you. I love the presence of God. And this guy goes, right answer. Because God's glorified when you enjoy him. Who would run the kingdom this way? I'm so tempted to, I won't, but in Isaiah 42, he talks about how justice comes and he goes, and the father delights in Jesus. Jesus is the delight of the father in Jesus. That's the justice strategy for the earth. The synopsis of the beginning of Isaiah 42. There you go. But isn't that amazing? Who would run the deal this way? Hallowed be thy name is not just let your name be Grit your teeth and tell God how great he is. No, it's lean in with the community to enjoy him in his true nature and reality and let the attributes of God begin to bear down and sing them and pray them and linger around them when you have to and find songs that actually, that have a spirit of revelation on them. You know, it's, a, it's like a pet peeve for me, not too strong, but in the modern worship movement because... We've gotten so oriented around, I want to feel you, I want to feel you, I want to feel you, which I do, so I can sing that in faith. But I also want to sing about Jesus. I want to sing about the cross. I want to sing about the nature of God. I want to get immersed. Because what he's saying is, if you want to do what I'm doing with the Father, here's the beginning point. Do it with others. Our Father, understand who he is. Connect to heaven. Understand the throne room, which is new language. And then, and then he says, and hallowed be your name. Let there be a response. Let there be a sound. It will be loud sometimes. And it'll be quiet sometimes. And it will be creative. In fact, it'll be more creative even than what the world offers. It's going to be a Holy Spirit Woodstock. A sound is coming. It's the Lord's prayer sound, but it's not just noise. It's the, the vibration of God's voice. 
through a people. And what we need is to train a generation to get their antenna up and learn how to hear God, how to discern. I tell, you know, this Don Potter was this worship leader, is still worship leader. And he said, worship leading 101, here it is. If you're doing that and the presence of God is increasing, keep doing it. If you're doing that and the presence of God is decreasing, stop doing it. Don Potter was a successful musician, producer, produced Elton, all kinds of famous people. The Lord said, stop the industry, grab your guitar, face the wall and play till you feel my presence. And I think the hallow would be your name. Listen, Isaiah 42 says a festival is going to cover the earth of the presence. 2,700 years ago, Isaiah saw it. So let your name be revered. Let there be not just sound, but teaching a people how to minister to Jesus. You know, sometimes the most prophetic thing we can do is go to the next song. That messes with us as charismatic, prophetic people. Because we think the only way God shows up is when we stay on the same. But sometimes that's what you do. And sometimes you do this. I want the whole toolkit. Yeah. I want to come prepared and, and ready to go this. And that's what we got to do as we're, not just musicians, but all of us. Yeah. Get in the toolkit. Start to know, hey, when somebody sings a chorus and you feel by the Holy Spirit the zip of God on it, sing it too. Do you understand what I'm saying? Get in the, the skill set of, of hallowed be your name, the skill set of ministry. When somebody prays something and there's a sense and the, agree with them because agreement takes it to the next level. Do you understand? These are skills you can learn. I, I, I agree out loud. You don't have to. I go, yes, I, yeah, I'll say it because I want my heart to agree with that person and that person and collectively something begins to emerge. That's Jesus himself. There's a skill set. A lifestyle. I, I want to encourage young people, don't just try to write a slick song. Learn how to move God with your sound, your voices. Learn how to hear God in the other person. Get a skill set that has authority on it, not just noise. Can you see? This is the Lord's prayer. Holy is your name. There's a response that looks like heaven where the elders, the primary leaders in that city have harps in their hands. They're musicians, which is wild. What kind of king would lead with musicians on their throne? All of them. The 24 elders in Revelation 5, 8, they all have instruments. Imagine if the United States Congress all gathered with guitars every day. We'd think they lost their mind if we didn't already. But in God's throne room, everybody's got an instrument telling you his ways are not our ways. And that's why millions of dollar budgets and the best personalities and the best lineup and the greatest gifts are not enough. We've got to have a Lord's prayer people that have eyes for heaven, that know the father, that do it with communities and actually learn how to move God. They actually learn how to hallow it be your name. I'm entering into the river of who you are. I'm going to agree with people. I'm going to put my antenna up and figure out, even if I'm not on the stage, I could be back there in the corner. But when I sense God begin to move, I'm going to throw in with a yes. Because I'm more interested in the corporate breakthrough than even just my own situation right now. Because later in this prayer, we start dealing with our own situations, but it doesn't start there. 
How many of you know our prayer life flips the Lord's prayer upside down most of the time? We come in with, give me this daily bread. Give me daily bread. Give me, give me, give me daily bread. Oh, Lord, I bless you. I worship you. And Jesus goes, I want to give you daily bread, but I want you to start up there. I want you to get out of all your soulless stuff and get up. And if we would train a people like Don Potter that would play till they feel his presence, learn to discern what he's doing, learn to get into corporate meetings. What if we did this? What if what Azusa Street stepped into a little bit become, became more common? One of the things that happened in the Welsh revival and the Azusa Street outpouring is that God would move suddenly in the room at the same time with the same thing. They would all start singing in the same key, the same song at the same moment because they were learning how to get their eyes on Jesus, not just with words, but in reality, they were looking and listening to what he's doing. Is this a skill set we could grow in? Come in this Sunday, this abide church every Sunday, come to the prayer room throughout the week and don't come in just to spectate, come to put your antenna up and go, what are you doing? Eyes on you. And if there's a people that would go eyes on you all the time, whether I'm on the platform or in the back corner, it's eyes on Jesus. Because Jesus is alive in the room, not just alive in the heavens. He's in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there. He's actually in the room. And he's doing things. Sometimes it's healing, sometimes whatever. But he's doing things. And if we can go eyes on Jesus, we'll get the Lord's prayer. We'll get the reality of it. And then he says, intercession, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We become intercessors. Everybody's an intercessor because your voice moves God. Intercession is not an office. It's your calling. Paul, the greatest apostle, you know, he wrote letters and he preached, but you know what he did more than any of that was he prayed. He goes, pray without ceasing. Paul was an intercessor first, apostle second. A worshiper first. Those things are second. They're important, but they're second. And I would go a little further to say, there's only one way into those things, and it's through servanthood and intercession. You know, one of our spiritual fathers had this dream where he saw these, in the dream, he saw these five doors. And written over each door was apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. And he was trying to get through the door, but he couldn't get in. Too many people. Everybody's jostling to try to get through the five doors. And then he looks over on the side, and there's these two doors in the dream. One says intercessor, and the other says servant. No line. Imagine the odds. No line. He goes, I can't get through the apostle door. I'm going to go over here through the intercessor door. Walks through the intercessor door in the dream, gets to the other side. Guess what? Five doors. Apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, no line. Lord goes, my authority is different than the spirit of the age. I'm going to anoint intercessors and servants. I'm going to anoint those that will carry my heart and open up their hearts to it. Well, this prayer goes on. Uh, there's so much to say, but it says, forgive us. It says, give us this day our daily bread. I'll just say one comment on that. 
how many of you know God wants to be in the details of your life? That phrase, give us to stay our daily bread, do you know what that implies? That we don't have our daily bread. It implies that we're dependent on Jesus for our provision. And that the issue of your provision, your food, money, resources that you need is an issue of intimacy. And that God set it up to be that way. That wasn't something that's just a problem in your life. You know, just, just the other day, about a month ago, we had Heidi Baker with us in Virginia. And Heidi and I had this encounter with the Lord on the malls, wild, wild moment, and it had to do with provision. And so I'm sitting with Heidi and I'm interviewing her with our staff. And I said, hey, can you, let's talk about that moment that we had. And she starts telling the story and the spirit falls on us so strong. And she goes, that's who you are. The Lord is... This is what she said. She goes, the issue of financial provision is not mostly about faith. It's mostly about intimacy. That hit me. An hour later, I get an email with one of the most difficult financial situations I've had to deal with ever in my life. An hour after she said that. And I went, unbelievable. It's about intimacy. When you hit the wall where you have a need, it's about intimacy. Can you hear that? That's what priests do. They go, give us this day our daily bread. I don't have it. You have it. And we ask for it. We have not because we ask not. There's a supernatural narrative the Lord wants to write for you in the realm of provision. Where he becomes the story. How many of you want stories to tell your kids where you go, look what God did. I didn't have it. He had it. I asked him and he did a miracle. That story will produce faith in generations. It's about the intimacy, not just the provision. And the Lord will put you in situations like Israel in the desert where there's no food. And you go, God, I followed your cloud all the way out. And you get out there and you go, where's the food at? Lord goes, that's exactly where I want you. Because I'm going to be intimate with you and give you manna. And then you're going to have a story. You're going to have a testimony. So the Lord's prayer people are people that have supernatural provision because the thing God's called them to do, here's the big news, requires it. Probably if what you're doing doesn't stretch your faith, probably you haven't stepped into your assignment fully yet. Has anybody had, I wish God would give everything the day before. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm calling you to do this. Here's a million dollars. Oh, usually it's, I'm calling you to do this and it's as you're stepping and then there's two more steps and then there's three more and then you're right on the brink and then because it's about intimacy, not just faith. Can you see the culture of this heavenly prayer? Can we, can we get into a train, every phrase of this, unpack heaven, unpack the nature of the father, unpack intercession, unpack provision and how to walk with him unpack the beauty of God in heavenly places how do we hallow his name what does ministry to the Lord look like how do we flex the muscle of communities that are are adoring him not just in in our words but in our lifestyle how do we walk this out it's time to fly you guys it's time to this isn't just a fad where we come in these environments, we get in rooms like this, we go, oh, it feels really good. I like that place. They sing a little longer. 
I like that place. It, they're, they're excited in there. I feel, it feels good in there. Oh, somebody got healed. Oh, amazing. They actually have miracles too. I, I want to be around them. Well, that's great. But what if we start training a whole generation in who the father is, how to do it with community, how you sing and create and flow and minister to the Holy Spirit and catch the rhythm of what he's doing? How do you put your antenna up in corporate gatherings, whether you're on the platform or not, and you know how to facilitate corporate breakthroughs? What if we had thousands of people that knew how to step into corporate breakthroughs? Because they were skilled and seeing what God was doing. All eyes on Jesus. And they could walk into every prayer meeting. All eyes on Jesus. And they were skilled to discern what he's doing. There are angels we can't see. There are dynamics we don't understand. And a skilled people start to step in in the spirit of the Lord's prayer. And they actually have eyes for it. Not, not even in the natural. But by the Holy Spirit you start to understand. And this is for everyone. And then we all become intercessors. We start thinking about ourselves, and God pivots your mind from self-centeredness to God-centeredness, other-centeredness, and then your own needs. Suddenly, you're, you're no longer self-centered anymore. Suddenly, you're not the primary issue in your life. Imagine the odds. You could get free from self-obsession. Glory! Then you're dangerous. A dangerous generation is a people that are no longer obsessed with themselves. It's the lamb's worth and other people's good. And you start getting in that, you become a force. That's what Jesus modeled, didn't he? And that's what the Lord's prayer is all about. And that's the training. Every one of these topics, man, I wish we had like a whole class. And I'm, Geo's are, I'm sure it's already happening here. Just every facet of this thing, the faith for finances, the breakthrough, in corporate gatherings, the spirit of prayer, intercession, heavenly things. You know, when Mike Bickle launched IHOP, I remember it, it struck me as so odd. I went to visit the little trailer in Kansas City where they were singing 24-7. I thought it was the weirdest thing I'd ever heard of. Never would have thought I'd do it. Get out there. And he's teaching on Revelation 4, which is the throne room, right? And I'm like, I thought he'd be talking about prayer. I come back three months later, he's still on Revelation 4. I'm like, when does he start talking about prayer and worship? I thought this was like 24-7 worship. He's like, no, no. You got to see the one seated on the throne if you're going to participate in what he's doing. I think there's wisdom in that. Well, I want to I pray for you guys. I, I believe that there's a DNA in this house where this is going to be a training center for Lord's Prayer people, for a priesthood, a generation of people that will operate, that, that will never settle for business as usual. So I ask you, Holy Spirit, to come right now. I ask you to energize us with your power in our hearts. I know that some might need to go. If you do, we just feel free to, but is it okay if we linger for just a minute? Father, I ask you to train us. Hundreds of people at Abide Church 
in how to minister to the Lord. Lord, here is your dwelling place. Here have we prepared a resting place for you. Now I ask you for that open heavens. Raise up intercessors and worshipers that will stand before you. When I just want to pray, I feel like if that's you, if you're like, this is who I'm called to be. It's just in a fresh way. I know I just said everybody's called, but I'm talking about those that are, you're, you're being stirred in your heart. I wonder if you could just stand up. If God's stirring you right now to, to stand before the Lord as a priest in an increased way in the next season. I'm going to ask the Lord to just set his fire on you. If those that are feeling stirred, I know everybody's called to it, but if God's stirring you right now, I just, I believe the Lord wants to impart faith to step into this. You're not a chicken, you're an eagle. You're not a chicken, you're an eagle. You're made to fly. This is who you are. I speak over you the identity and the calling to stand before the Lord. You have more authority than you know. You have access right now, those that are standing and those that are seated, but you have access to heavenly things, to reality. I say that over you right now. It is your time. Abide. It is your hour to be in Antioch, to host the waterfall of the presence of God for Florida and the nations. I pray now, Lord, that you would take that eye salve. Whoa, and that you would touch the eyes of this church community and that you would give a spirit of revelation and wisdom to this house right now, right now. I ask you to unlock the eyes of the heart that we would see you and see ourselves in you and that a new grace would begin to come for thousands. I feel like the Lord says it will influence thousands and yea, even more than thousands that God would call a generation to stand on the crystal sea. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, set your fire on us now, God. Just like that upper room community in Acts chapter 2. Do it at Abide Church in Brandon, Florida, in the Tampa Bay region. Oh God, would you find a dwelling place here? A Lord's Prayer people, an Our Father people, a Holy is Your Name people, on earth as it is in heaven, intercess on earth as it is in heaven, intercessory people. A humble people. Just want to invite you for, for a moment. Like I said, if you need to go, feel free to go. But I believe that there is even a sense of a commissioning going on for real. Some of you are going to step into a new lifestyle. You're going to step into a divine storyline that's going to unfold in your life. I wonder if we could just lift our voices for a minute. Just begin to call on the name of the Lord. Just 
in your own words, if you want to sing, if you want to pray, if you want to pray in a prayer language or English or whatever, just come on, let's, let's go right up right now into that heavenly reality.
the earth with the song of the Lord. God's going to cover the earth with incense. He says, will your voice, will you give me your voice? Spirit of wisdom, come. 
up the eyes of our hearts.
strongly that we would as a community just pause for a moment and just pray and come into agreement with that word. Actually, we feel like I needed my staff and some of my elders to come up. So can you guys just come? Will you just come around? I just feel like it's really important to just in our hearts say amen to that. No matter what it looks like, it's got to go beyond a nice moment, man. That was nice. It's like those of you who have lingered, it's 1236. Something resonated in your heart that said, I'm here. So, Father, we just come humbly and we just say thank you for the invitation as priests, as sons and daughters to love you and to create a habitation for you. And, Father, we ask that this word that was deposited on this morning, Father, prophetically, we say yes and amen. Yes and amen. We give our lives to this. We thank you for all the mandates on all the different churches, but we want to be faithful to our assignment and what you've called us to do as a house. So, Father, I thank you for every person in this room. We bless them. We bless them with spiritual hunger, with the grace to say yes to you and the highs and the lows. And, God, I ask that you give them perseverance, that you give them grace and language on what it will look like to live this out in their homes with their children. What adjustments have to be made? What priorities have to re be reprioritized? God, I thank you for calling them. I thank you they have everything they need now to live this out. We break any feelings of lesser than or I don't know I can't, if I can't say yes. You have everything you need now to fully say yes to Jesus. So God, draw them in. Draw them in. Release them from any pressure, any other lover, and that their hearts would be fully captivated by the person of Jesus. You're worthy of this. You're worthy of this. So we stand here as a staff, as a family, as a community. We say yes. We say yes to being chosen, set apart, holy and consecrated unto you.